If you'll turn in your Bibles to Proverbs 27 and verse 4. It is still somewhat of a mystery to me how the Lord directs my mind to different subjects. I don't mind telling you my mind was directed to this subject through a devotion that we were having last week in our family. In this verse, we looked at it and it just stuck with me. And I felt as though the Lord was leading me to learn more about Proverbs 27 and 4. In the title of this message, I've gone back and forth on what to call it, but I'm going to call it the drowning effect of envy. The drowning effect of envy. And the word envy here is interchangeable. It's used elsewhere as jealousy. So I want to tell you as we read the verse and then give you a little Jewish fable that I think is interesting. Proverbs 27 and 4, wrath is cruel and anger is outrageous. But who is able to stand before envy? The reason I title it the drowning effect of envy, because you'll see in these definitions that it carries the idea of a flood or water boiling. Okay? Well, let me tell you this little Jewish fable that I came across when I was studying. And it's about envy or jealousy. It says there were once two neighbors, one named Covetous and the other named Envy. A rich man promised to grant whatever covetous or envy should ask. Land, riches, goods, but double to him who should ask last. Covetous would not ask first because he wished to get the double portion because he's covetous. And envy would not ask first because he could not bear the thought of benefiting his neighbor covetous whom he envied so intensely however at last envy requested that one of envy's own eyes should be put out so that his neighbor covetous would have a double portion granted and have both his eyes put out the point of that is envy jealousy is a destroyer it is wicked and it's a destroyer and as i was studying this i thought about That this Proverbs 27 and 4, you remember it comes from the mind of God. All scripture is inspired by God into the minds of men to write it. This verse seems to be, to me, the antitype or the anti-verse, if you will, of 1 Corinthians 13 and 13. Where it says, and now abideth faith, hope, and charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Proverbs 27 and 4 is the anti-verse of that. Wrath and anger. But the greatest of these, the worst of these, is envy. Why? Why is it that envy is worse than wrath and worse than anger? Let's talk about that. You've got three major, major emotions pitted together in this one verse, wrath, anger, and envy. And it says clearly that the worst of those or the greatest of those is envy or jealousy. Uncontrolled emotions, wrath, anger, and jealousy. Perhaps these are the three worst of emotions in all the range of emotions. And you may be sitting there today and say, well, I'm sure glad I don't suffer from wrath and I'm glad I don't suffer from anger. Oh, I'm really glad I don't suffer from jealousy. 
You may think twice before we're through because jealousy has a way of taking hold when you don't even realize it. And envy or jealousy is more unbearable of a burden than anger or wrath. So as we often do when we look at a verse from Proverbs, let's get our definitions because in the definitions you find some amazing things. It says wrath is cruel. The definition of wrath is fever as from a poison, hot displeasure or rage, fury. Boiling over is the image that's like water boiling over. As one is taking vengeance into their own hands. It's, It's a little hard sometimes to see the difference between wrath and anger, but you remember that. Wrath is the display of anger, the acting out of anger, where somebody is taking vengeance often into their own hands. Proverbs 6 speaks of this word wrath when it speaks of rage. It says, for jealousy is the rage of a man. It's the same word. Therefore, he will not spare in the day of vengeance. It's violent anger is what wrath is. Now, it says wrath is cruel. And cruel means violent or deadly or fierce. And there's several occurrences of this word cruel in the Scripture. I'll just mention a few to you. One is found in Genesis 49 where it speaks of where uh, Jacob speaks of what Simeon and Levi did whenever their sister Dinah was taken advantage of. Jacob says of his sons, you know how they wiped out an entire race of people because of the incident that occurred with Dinah. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's worth going and reading, especially if you have girls in the house. <laughs> Being careful who they hang out with. Being very careful about that and careful about not spending any alone time with the opposite sex because terrible things happen when that, those things occur. The wrong crowd is hung out with or alone time occurs. Terrible. Every, as a matter of fact, every instance in the Word of God where a male and a female are alone together and not married, it speaks of disaster. Every instance. <laughs> Check me out on that. So Jacob said, Simeon and Levi... Their wrath was cruel, what they did. You talk about the punishment not fitting the crime. Because one person, one prince of that nation, did what he did to Dinah. Simeon and Levi went and plotted and killed all of the males. Thousands, tens of thousands of males in that city. Murdered them. That was cruel. That was a cruel display of wrath. Hope that makes sense. They weren't just angry. (laughs) They acted on their anger. And they took vengeance into their own hands. What Pharaoh did with the Israelites whenever he saw that they were multiplying in Egypt, when he enslaved them, and eventually he said, put, he told the Israelite women to put their boys to death. That was a display of cruelty and wrath. What Herod did with the infants to and under in the days whenever Jesus came into the world as the man God. You know, whenever he was mad because the wise men didn't come back to him, he was angry and he took out his wrath. He was a real coward, wasn't he? (laughs) He took out his wrath on two-year-old babies, boys and younger. That's another thing about wrath. It's a sign of a coward. It's a sign of a coward when we don't leave vengeance in the hands of God. Okay? And we'll get to these in a little bit, but over in Ephesians and Colossians, it speaks of... Anger, wrath, malice, those things. It speaks of those things and how to deal with them. We'll get to that hopefully towards the end. But understand this is all through the Scripture. These 
emotions, wrath, anger, envy, or jealousy. Now the definition of anger, it says wrath is cruel and anger is outrageous. You know, wrath is a, is a boiling over, a very quick, heated boiling over where vengeance is taken into the hands of the person who is being wrathful. Anger is outrageous. Anger, the definition, is just the nose or the nostril. It's the nostril flaring. Rapid breathing, flaring of the nostrils. Webster gives the definition of violent passion of the mind aroused by a real or supposed injury. Have you ever got angry about something and then come to find out it wasn't anything to it? We've all done that. I was angry over the way that person looked at me or what they said to me. And then you come to find out, you know, they just had a stomachache. They didn't feel good. You know, or you come to find out it wasn't as, as you thought it was. See, anger is violent passion of the mind aroused by a real or supposed injury. And it says it's outrageous. That means a flood. It means to gush or to rush over you. If you ever had anger come upon you, sometimes even the face turns red. Some people are able to keep it in better, but, but sometimes the face turns red and you can see a change in their disposition. <laughs> and it says anger is outrageous. I want you to think about this. Jesus said in Mark 7 and 21 that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And within the heart, he said, are things like anger, wrath, jealousies, envy. Those things come out of the mouth. Unless it's a very disciplined person who knows how to lock their mouth and discharge that in a different way. Jesus said that whatever's in your heart, if wrath is in your heart, if anger is in your heart, if jealousy is in your heart or envy, it's going to come out the mouth in some way or another because it boils over. It's like filling up a cup. Water is in this cup right here. And if I overflow that that's in this cup, if I fill it up more, water's going to flow out or flood out of that cup and so is the heart i tell you there's so much in the word of god about the heart about our emotions and when, by the way i think i've told you this before but when the proverb speaks of the heart it's talking about the emotions that's what it's talking about most of the time so it says wrath is cruel anger is outrageous but who is able to stand before envy one more verse on anger. It says Ecclesiastes 7 and 9 that anger resteth in the bosom of fools. It doesn't mean that everybody that's ever been angry is a fool. It doesn't mean that. But it means that anger rests, it resides, it abides in the bosom of a foolish person. And it periodically or systematically comes out. Now, let's consider the subject of the drowning effect of envy or jealousy. Because we see that wrath just kind of pops up and, and it's, it's here and it's gone. You know, wrath is taken out and it's over. And that's cruel often. And then you see that anger is like a flood and it just kind of flows along and it just kind of sweeps away whatever comes with it. But here is envy that you cannot stand before envy. It's greater and worse than anger and wrath. And the effect of envy is not just to boil over and to, or to wash away like a flood. It is to drown it can drown the person who is the object of the envy. And sadly, it can also drown the person who is displaying the jealousy or the envy. Now, this is the same Hebrew word for jealousy in Proverbs 6 and 34. It speaks for jealousy. That's envy. Jealousy is the rage of a man. So I use those interchangeably. 
Envy is jealousy. Jealousy is envy. It's the same thing. It's just a different word. But let's consider some characteristics of envy or jealousy. First of all, it takes hold without realizing it. If you've ever experienced jealousy, it's something that just sort of gets a hold of you. And you say, how do you know, Brother Jim? Because I've experienced it. <laughs> I can remember many years ago, I'd, I was lying awake at night and the situation, I can't even hardly remember the situation. And it involved none of you, okay? So don't try to, oh, was that me? It wasn't you. But I can remember years ago and I was lying there at night and thinking about this situation. And I was praying and I said, Lord, you know, help me to handle this appropriately, blah, blah, blah. And something came over me. And I just sort of got this feeling in my heart and in my mind. It creeped up into my mind. And I, I just felt this kind of anger and this sort of wrath within me. And I was thinking, what is this? <laughs> and I was lying there awake all night. And as I laid there, I was like, this is jealousy. This is envy. I'm being envious. I'm being envious at the wicked. Why doesn't somebody do something about what's, what, I, what is going on in my situation? Why didn't somebody address this? And so I lay there all night, all night long, one of the most sleepless nights I've ever had, and I wrestled with jealousy. Have you ever done that? <laughs> I hope you haven't. But it's very likely as a fallen human descended from Adam, you probably will at some point. <laughs> Especially if you have children, sometimes that really affects a parent. It can really do that. I'm sure I haven't even plumbed the depths of jealousy yet because now I'm a grandparent. You know, I got a grandbaby back there. There's probably even worse depths that I'm not even aware of. But jealousy will take a hold of you. And before you know it, it is taking up residence in your heart. You know, that situation that I was relating to you from years ago, when that took a hold of me, it took weeks and weeks for me to get rid of that, to purge it. And if I sat here today and I just, I hesitate to even bring that up for my own purposes, because if I sat here and thought about it long enough, I'd be like, did anybody ever, you know, get called to the carpet on that? <laughs> That's how jealousy works. It takes a hold of you without realizing it. And when it takes a hold, it justifies itself. I'm justified in feeling jealous or envious. And why doesn't somebody do something about this? It also spreads. It doesn't just spread in the heart or the psychosis or the um, thinking of someone. It can also spread to others because it's so hard to keep it in check. In Proverbs 14 and 30, if you want to turn just a few pages over, listen to what it says about envy, about jealousy. So much about jealousy and envy in the Proverbs. We don't have time to but just touch upon a few things. Proverbs 14 verse 30 a sound heart is the life of the flesh, but envy, the rottenness of the bones. Envy has a way of affecting everything. It has a way of taking a hold and it just won't let go. If you think about the marrow of the bones, which is within the bones, it will permeate your being so completely that it becomes oftentimes who you are, which is very sad. It seethes and it spread. In Acts the 17th chapter in the 5th verse, it says the Jews which believe not at the preaching of the gospel of the truth, the ones that believe not were moved with envy and took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort and gathered a company and set all the city in an uproar just over the preaching of the truth, which I trust you rejoice in from a week to week, sometimes twice a week basis. 
It says they gathered a company. They set all the city in an uproar and assaulted the house of Jason. Is this spreading? Is this envy? Jealousy? Is it spreading? You see, the gospel, the truth was drawing people out of darkness. It was drawing them into light and it was setting them free in their lives. And those who thought they had control of religion, they thought they had a a corner on the market of religion with their Phariseeism and their legalism. They thought uh, they had it all down pat and they saw all this people going in the direction of the truth and they became envious. They're like, who are they to tell people what is what? (laughs) You know, maybe you've found that in your own case of believing the truth. You know, who, who are you to think that you've got it figured out? Listen, here's the answer to that. You don't have it figured out, but God's got it figured out. And you can latch on to that, you see? God has it figured out. And if we'll cling to Him, it is light and it is being set free. But these people were so envious, they weren't going to allow the truth to spread, or they thought. So they assaulted the house of Jason. He was one of the ones that believed the truth and sought to bring them out to the people. This is so illegal. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren under the rulers of the city, crying, these that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. I tell you, they had not turned the world upside down. They had turned the world right side up. You see, they'd preached about Jesus. And they'd preached about the freedom that is in the work of Christ. And the whole time, those Jews were over there saying, no, you know, freedom's in the... This is kind of a misnomer. Freedom's in the law of Moses. Freedom's in keeping the law. And that put them in bondage, you see. So you think about what's out there in the world today in terms of things that are are preached about Jesus. If you find anything that is putting you in bondage and says you do this and you do that in order to become a child of God or go to heaven, then that is no different than what the Jews were preaching here saying go into follow the law of Moses. But it puts you in bondage. That's the world upside down. The world right side up is in the truth where Jesus said and and the apostles preached and taught and the preachers preached and taught that we have freedom in Christ. There's no condition laid upon you because Christ has met the condition. You see how that went against those Jews who were following Moses' law still? Keep the law. Keep the Ten Commandments. I mean, you you could look at it like that. Just keep the Ten Commandments and and you'll go to heaven. (laughs) Have you ever tried to keep the Ten Commandments? Now, I get it. I mean, it's pretty easy. I hope it's pretty easy not to kill someone. <laughs> you know, wrath, envy, you know, some of that stuff could lead to some of that, you know. I mean, I get it. You know, it's pretty easy not to kill. But, you know, do not lie. Have you ever tried? <laughs> have you ever lied? And if you say, no, I haven't, well, you just lied. <laughs> <laughs> it's keeping the Ten Commandments. It looks so easy. You know, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Have you ever put any other gods? You say, no, Brother Tim, I don't ever put any gods before any but the Lord. Well, if you've ever missed church besides for being sick, then you have put gods before the Lord. Is that a little too close to home? It's the truth. I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm trying to love you. <laughs> See, there's all kinds of ways that we put false gods in front of the Lord. It's impossible to keep the Ten Commandments. <laughs> I heard Elder Sam Bryant say one time, you know, when he was young and didn't understand the truth, that he set out and he said, oh, that doesn't seem too hard. I'll keep the Ten Commandments, you know, and everything will be all right between me and God. <laughs> and, you know, and a few days later, he's just a basket case. <laughs> because when you concentrate on keeping the Ten Commandments and you say, well, I'll never commit adultery, praise God, I hope that you don't. But Jesus said to look upon another to lust and your heart is committing adultery in your heart. That's a little too close to home. You can't keep the Ten Commandments. 
But I'm telling you about one who did. And Jesus Christ kept the Ten Commandments and He was going around, they were going around preaching about Christ as the fulfillment of the law. He dotted every I. He crossed every T. He paid for your sins on the cross and you have freedom in Him. Come and join the church. Be baptized. And it was pulling people away from the religious establishment. I tell you, that's one thing that I love about being an old Baptist is to see God's people pulled away from closed-mindedness and bondage that's out in the world and the religious establishments of the world and bring to them freedom in Christ. If you're sitting there going, what does he mean by that? We need to talk. See me after the service and we'll talk some more about it. Christ does not equal bondage. Christ equals freedom. And if you feel any bondage whatsoever in your life, Look at the truth. Listen to the truth. Follow the truth. These men were so envious over the truth that they brought this man, they assaulted this man's house and they took him out of his house, Jason, and they brought him before the, the authorities and they said, these have turned the world upside down. And Jason has received them. And these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar. See, they were starting to get political. These people say, well, let's not get political now. There's something better than political. Let's just be godly and biblical. You understand? But they were getting political right here. So these guys are getting over into politics. They don't belong here. Let me tell you, the word of God, the truth of God belongs everywhere for the children of God. And look, it says they're all doing contrary to the decrees of Caesar and saying there's another king, Jesus. There's another king. And these envious people troubled the people. And the rulers of the city, when they heard these things, did you know that's what envy will do? It will trouble people. It will cause confusion and it will trouble not only the mind of the person who is envious, but also the minds of the people that that person comes into contact with. Romans 1 and 29, another characteristic of envy. As Paul describes how things will be in the last days. I mean, envy's always been around. But he said it'd be like there'd be an extra dose of envy in the last days. Romans 1 and 29, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetous, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers. You see, that's almost like you picked up the, or you can't hardly pick up a newspaper anymore, but you checked online, you know, what the latest news is. Debate, uh, Intents of malice, you see, envy. Look at James 3 and 14. This tells us a very good story about jealousy or envy. James 3, and let's look at verse 14. It's over towards the end of the Bible. Why is envy worse than wrath and anger? Look at all the things that envy causes. Like a flood, it drowns. Let's look at James 3 and verse 14. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. See, bitter envying and strife in the heart will cause you to drift away or be washed away from the truth. Notice he says in verse 15, This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. 
So if you've ever dealt with situations where there was confusion or where there was angst or where there was strife going on, it's very likely that if you look to the root of it, you'll find someone who is envious, who is jealous. It's a secret in the heart. One of the reasons that envy is worse than wrath and anger is because it's very easy to see the effect of wrath. You know, somebody gets mad and they take vengeance. Or when somebody gets angry, you know, maybe their face turns red or they gush out, you know, with anger and then it kind of subsides. But jealousy or envy just kind of abides. It just kind of keeps on flowing like an undercurrent and it never really gets rooted out. See, that's one of the reasons that envy is so much worse. It abides and it lingers. It's stubborn and it won't let go. Acts 13 and 45, it says that the Jews saw the crowd. Once again, they're seeing the preachers and they see the crowd that the truth-believing preachers have gathered to preach to set the people free. Acts 13 and 45, the Jews saw the crowd and were filled with jealousy. You see? And they began to act in a way that was, that was detrimental. They began to stir up confusion and strife. You'll see that as a pattern in the book of Acts. The ministers of the gospel will go in and preach. People will rejoice. They'll come to the truth. They'll be baptized. And the next thing you know, these whisperers come around. These jealous men come around and they start whispering. And the next thing you know, there's a stir. And they're having to get Paul out of town you know, by letting him down in a basket and get him, get him gone before somebody arrests him. You know, Everything started out great, but then jealousy comes along. Is that not the way that it is? You know, somebody can be wrathful and, and do something cruel in wrath, and they come back and say, I'm so sorry, I've come to my senses, I'm so sorry, I should have never done that. Somebody can get angry and say something they shouldn't say, or be pouting for a long time and come back and say, I'm so sorry, I, I just, I've come to my senses, you know, I shouldn't have been pouting, I shouldn't have been angry. But then there's that jealousy, that envy that just kind of abides, and most of the time, the person doesn't even know that it has a hold of them. It's deadly, and it drowns. Now, I want you to think about people that are envious or jealous. Often, people that are envious or jealous are loners. They can be loners. Because, you know, nobody, nobody wants to hear all the negative stuff that they're saying, right? They can be loners. But then, at the worst, a person who suffers from an undercurrent of envy can be a bully, you know, trying to tear down and destroy someone that they are envious of. I tell you, that is an ugly thing. It is an ugly thing. To be, some people don't even, that are bullies don't even realize they're bullies. But to manipulate and to whisper and to backbite and to try to tear down, never ever offering a word of encouragement. You understand that? Jealousy doesn't have the capacity to say, I'm so proud of you, or good job, or, you know, you're the best thing that's ever happened to me. <laughs> you know, this doesn't just affect husbands and wives. This doesn't just affect families. It doesn't just affect friendships. It can affect a church. And y'all know, I've said this before, I always like to preach on these things when there's not an issue, right? I'm not preaching on this because there's some great issue. Because, you know what, most of the time when folks, when there is an issue, nobody will listen. <laughs> so we preach on things that are not an issue so that folks will listen. And then maybe if there ever is an issue, God forbid, somebody will think back, well, you know, I remember that sermon Brother Tim preached about this subject, wrath, anger, and envy. The envious person secretly plots to ruin another. I want you to think about these examples. What was it that destroyed mankind in the Garden of Eden? It was the jealousy of Satan. You hear me? It was the envy 
of the devil. He envied God's anointed one. Y'all have heard me give the example before. I could just picture Satan, the anointed cherub in the Garden of Eden, who's there to protect mankind. If there was really anything that needed to be protected at that point, because there's no sin and no trouble. But I can just picture Satan looking over and seeing Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In whatever form he was in at that point, and looking at him and thinking, that's him? I'm, more, I'm better looking than him. I've got more to offer than him. I've got more to give this world than that thing over there. I could just see Satan acting like that. And envy is what caused him to fall. Jealousy. So then he takes it out on Eve and he takes it out on Adam. You see? Was Adam able to stand before the envy of Satan? He was not. Wrath is cruel. Anger is outrageous. But who can stand before envy? Adam could not. What about Abel? Abel, did he do anything wrong when he sacrificed to the Lord? Did he do anything that was not in line with what pleased God? And Cain does what he does, and God was not pleased? So who does Cain take it out on? <laughs> he takes it out on Abel. Abel was not able to stand before the envy or the jealousy of Cain. And what happened? The first murder. The first murder occurred. Stephen, the great martyr in the book of Acts, speaks of the, the basic reason in Acts 7 and 9 why Joseph's brothers did what they did to him. You remember the brothers took him and sold him into slavery and he went down into Egypt and all those things happened to him. You know, God was with him. Praise God. But it says for envy... For envy, they plotted and they sold him into slavery. Envy led them to try and destroy them. And praise be to God, he couldn't, he couldn't stand before them, but our Lord in heaven stood before them. You get that? God was one step ahead of them. One step ahead of their envy. Thank goodness. In one sense, Christ could not stand before the envy of the Pharisees. Now you hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying he wasn't able to. He did stand before them, but... He, he being good and the Son of God and God-man in the flesh. He being the God-man. They hated Him. Why? Because they were envious. You see? They didn't convert. They didn't come to believe in what He was teaching. They hated Him. You see? Envy. It cannot be stood before. Now, where you find confusion and strife, notice it says in James 3, for where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. So you think about situations that have touched your life or maybe have touched my life. What's, the, what's going on here? There's just confusion and there's just trouble and there's just strife. Somewhere at the root of that is envy. There's jealousy. Somewhere at the root of that. Now look, I want you to listen to me. Because again, as I said, th this is not an issue among us. But it, things like this could become issues. And for whatever reason, these, these types of issues regarding envy and jealousy sometimes affect the young sisters more than they do the young, uh, young men, the young brothers. You know, the difference between a lot of times, and I say boys and girls, I say young men, young women. 
and boys and girls. A lot of times the difference is, you know, the boys will get crossed up and they'll just maybe slug it out, wrestle it out. I've seen that happen, you know. Next thing you know, they're high-fiving each other. Hey, let's go on about our business. You know? glad, glad we got through that. But sometimes when the, the sisters, and I don't just mean here, I just mean in general, the females, when they get crossed up, things can kind of linger and continue, right? Especially when it comes to friendships and who's hanging out with who and who's hanging out with this one and who's hanging out with the other one. Let me just say this. Let me, just, let me give you some relief in that area, young sisters. Relief uh, from Brother Tim, your male pastor who studies the Word of God and understands a little bit about the difference between men and women, boys and girls, young men, young women. One of the reasons that young sisters feel or, or tend to go in the direction of envy and jealousy a little more when it comes to friendships and so forth. Listen carefully now. It's because most of the time down inside the heart of a young woman is a desire to have a companion one day. Now if that's an anti-feminist statement or whatever, I'm just sorry, I can't help it. It's in the Word of God. <laughs> God said it's not good that the man should be alone, and he gave him a helpmeet. And that's the way God created men and women. They desire companionship. He says it's not good for the man to be alone. See? So there's in the heart of a young woman a desire to have a companion one day. And there is no best friend and there's no relationship that a young woman can have that will ever give her what God intends for her to have when she is fully grown and marries one day. So until then, though, you know, until that time comes, until that time comes, there needs to be a management of that envy. You see that undercurrent of, well, so-and-so's hanging out with so-and-so or this one's hanging out with that one or that one's hanging out with this one. Everybody that has girls has been there in some form or another with that. Okay. Now, I remember I've got four girls. I think God was playing a joke on me in some ways. He said, I'll show you, you rough as a cob, you and your brother who grew up in a house with a mom was more like one of the guys, you know. <laughs> and so then I got four girls, you know, and I'm thinking, you know, I got to do a little self-analyzing here because it's not just like, oh, get over it, go on. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work. God didn't intend for it to work that way. I, listen, I'm not condemning it. I rejoice in it. It has made me a better man because of all of that. <laughs> I have learned to identify. I've learned to listen. I've learned to be, try to be patient. I know my girls are over here going, yeah, whatever. <laughs> those, those talks that we've had at the foot of the bed, late into the hour, sometimes with one, sometimes with two, sometimes with three, sometimes with uh, visitors that are, that are over, you know, coming and asking questions too, you know. I'm so tired, I want to go to sleep, but I need to listen. I need to listen. Now, how many times have we been over this? Seven times? Let's go over it one more time. <laughs> it's okay. That's part of life. It's part of the glory of life. <laughs> but it's different. You know, I have a conversation with my son, and I'll say, hey, you know, here's the deal. Whatever, whatever, this is it. Okay. You know, never have to have it again. He's different. Then I have a conversation with the girls. You know, well, something else came up, and then something else came up, and give me a little more details here. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. That is, that is the glory of woman. And there's the glory of man. You see? So hear me when I say this. Especially to the young sisters. If you have an innate desire for companionship, that is from the Lord. Amen. 
but you will never be able to discharge that and enjoy that fully until you find that companion. Now, the ones that have found their companions can say, yeah, right, amen. But if you're still in that flux category, if you're still in that transitional category, you're going to be afflicted with a feeling called envy and jealousy. And it not only can have to do with this friend or that friend, it can have to do with this boyfriend or that boyfriend. You get it? Jealousy will consume you. Envy will take over your life and it will become a rottenness to your bones. Oh, Lord, spare us from envy. And I say that to you, young sisters. That's not the whole purpose of this message, but it is a great side note that I hope will help you process some of the things that you go through. And one sweet day when you find that companion, and I know there's a lot of you sitting there thinking, well, I'll never find that companion, Brother Tim. Well, just talk to those that have. You know, it's not magic. I mean, it is a miracle. You know, I don't, I don't shortchange it. It is a miracle. But at the same time, it's an ongoing miracle. You know, it's, it's things that God expects and anticipates. And it can be as tremendous as what Isaac experienced whenever the servant of Abraham went back and found Rebekah just like that. Or it can be a long abiding time frame where God provides. But it's a miracle any way you cut it. But just relax. Okay? Envy will destroy you. Whether you're a young sister, young brother, it could be jealousy of a young brother over someone's gifts or abilities. <laughs> I remember, I'll tell you this little funny story. I was not the best player on our high school football team. I was the second best player. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was not the best player on our high school football team. I had a close friend who was six foot three, 225 pounds, incredible athlete. He went on and played professional baseball. You know, and it would be really easy to get jealous over that. I never played baseball, so there was no jealousy there. But we played football. So here's, here's how I solved the jealousy problem. It never really affected me because we were great friends. But this is how I solved it. Every day when we went out to practice and we had our individual drills and we would go against you know, each other to do tackling or blocking or whatever, I would pick him every single time. I, I'm going with him. You know why? Because he's better than me. And if I go with somebody that's better than me, it will make me better. Right. I might get creamed a few times, but that's okay. That's life. You're going to get creamed in life. It's going to happen. <laughs> I pick out the guy that's better than me. You know, our human nature is to pick out the people that we think are less than us. You know, well, I'll be able to dominate this little group because I'll, I won't be around people that are better than me. I want to be around people that are better than me. I consider all of you to be better than me because I'm a sinner. Does that make sense? That's a great way to deal with jealousy when it comes to the guys playing sports or whatever. You know, you got somebody that's maybe more friendly than you or somebody that's more outgoing than you. Spend time with that person. Be around them. Learn from them. <laughs> that's what I did with my friend. I learned a lot of things from him, not just on the sports field, but I, I spent time with him and learned from him. You see, envy, the last characteristic that I'll give you here, envy will not compliment others it will not compliment others it's like envy puts a lock on the mouth of someone jealousy puts a lock and they just cannot say good job way to go i'm proud of you you're the best wife in the world <laughs> you're the best husband in the world you know you're the best son in the world i'm so proud of what you... jealousy and envy just won't you know you know there's a lot of parents that are jealous of their children you know, trying to live through their children I've seen that dynamic that it is so sad. For example, 
you'll see someone who believes that, you know, a lot of, a lot of parents believe that their children are going to be pro athletes one day. I mean, a lot of parents believe that. Did y'all know that? That may be a shock to y'all. But so they get them in baseball or whatever the poison may be. And, it, and it, it, it doesn't have to be poison, but it will be if you do it this way. So they put them in baseball at three and a half years old or, you know, football at seven, you know, whatever. And, you know, back in my day, you know, we had great teams and great time, lots of fun. And we played seasonal sports. And we, you know, we didn't start football, you know, 12 or 13 years old. You go into junior high, but not today. Because most parents think that their children are going to be professional athletes. So they'll put that little fellow, they'll put little Johnny and I'm sorry for the little Johnnies if there's any here, but they'll put little Johnny in baseball at three or four years old. And, you know, by the time little Johnny gets to 12 or 13 years old, he is totally burnt out, completely burnt out. As a matter of fact, he hates baseball at that point. And I've seen it. A lot of times he said, I'm just not going to play. I'm just not going to do it. And the parents are so disappointed because that's their, that's their envy idol. You know, maybe they didn't do what they could have done with their life in that respect, so they're going to put it on little Johnny, and the next thing you know, it just divides that family. Is that not the case with family after family after family in the world, especially the United States of America? Everybody thinks their child's going to be a pro athlete. Well, they're not. <laughs> There's such a small percentage, tiny, tiny, minuscule percentage of any young boy that goes on and becomes a pro athlete. It's just so, so small. And yet those envious, envious mentalities and emotions lead to the division of a family. I know whereof I speak in terms of sports because all through high school I was, I, Coach Wright who passed away a few weeks ago, he would say of me, I wasn't the best athlete he had by any means. Nowhere close. But he would say that he didn't have an athlete that loved football more than me. <laughs> I ranked way up high there as the one that loved football more than anybody he coached. That's what he said now. And so following that love, that idol, I can remember my last year of playing in college, that final year, I felt like I had fetters on me. I felt like I had chains holding me down to the ground. And I was counting down the days. Oh, Lord. I remember when we did lose in the playoffs. And I, my eyes opened up and I thought, I'm done. I'm free. I'm not bound by this idol anymore. I would not at that time known to have verbalized it as an idol, but I know now it was an idol. And it consumed me, you see? And how many parents are consumed with that idol of envy and jealousy and my kid's going to be better than this kid or my kid's going to do more than this kid and they're just burning out their kids, you see? That's envy. It's jealousy. Envy will not compliment others. And on rare occasions when they do compliment, it's not sincere. It's sort of like, way to go. Great job. Walk off. You know. And this, this can be in so many different areas. It may be schoolwork. It may be for parents and kids. You know, it can be in so many different areas. It could be sports, schoolwork, you know, you, you know, work. You can think about all the different areas it could be. But just in general, we should be a non-envious, complimenting, encouraging congregation. Amen. Now that will set you apart from so many else in the world. And you're not setting yourself apart just so you say, okay, we're different. No, you want to be what God calls you to be. If it's a congregation, if it's a husband and a wife, you know, there are husbands that just cannot compliment their wives. 
And I admit, I don't compliment mine enough, but I try to. I think about it and I say, whether she looks beautiful or whether she did a great job or whether this, that, or the other, I need to do better. I need to do more to just say, you look beautiful or you look wonderful or you did a great job. I'm so proud of you. Because of my conceit and because of my self-focus and sometimes because of my envy, I'm prevented from doing that. Isn't that a shame? <laughs> I tell my, some of my dirty laundry like that, you know. I'll be happy to tell yours if you want to get it to me. But that's something that keeps husbands and wives from being close. It's something that keeps parents and children from being close. It's something that will definitely divide and cause confusion and strife among a church. So, the point of all of this is that of wrath and anger, jealousy and envy is the worst. Wrath and anger, they rage like a storm for a while and you know, kind of blow it out. But jealousy or envy is never fully put to rest. It keeps popping back up. It just keeps coming on back up and tearing up whatever rivals it. It can never be satisfied. So how do you deal with it? Okay, remember this as we close. How do you deal with it? Number one, you've got to remember that we are naturally jealous. We are naturally jealous. Naturally, it comes natural because of the fall in the Garden of Eden. Satan purported his envy upon Adam and Eve. And Adam purported his envy and jealousy onto the entire human race. So we come from Adam and we're jealous. We're naturally jealous. It's going to pop up like me laying there at night thinking, what is this? Oh my goodness, this is jealousy. It's just going to pop up on you. Then ask yourself the question, do I compliment and encourage others? Do I compliment and encourage others? That's a sure sign right there that someone is not suffering from the stranglehold, the drowning effect of jealousy. Watch James 3 as we close. It says, let's read again in verse 14. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But, thank goodness that he tells us an alternative. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated. Full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. You see the alternative to that envy and that strife and that confusion? The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace. In order to sow in peace, you have to encourage and interact with one another. You see? You get that? God's got an alternative to envy, to jealousy. And by the way, as I was reading that, that what a beautiful description of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He was from above, was He not? And He was pure. <laughs> and He was peaceable. And He was gentle, was He not, to God's children? And easy to understand. Easy to be entreated. It just made sense what He did and what He said. Full of mercy. Christ is so full of mercy. And good fruits. It says that He was one that went about doing good. And He's without partiality. He would deal in the same way that, and sometimes in a more merciful way with that woman of the city who would come and cry tears upon His feet and wash His feet with her tears and dry them with her hair. He would deal with her like He would a Zacchaeus who would climb a tree to see Him. You see, he was without partiality because he loves his children. <laughs> and he's without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown of peace in them that make peace. You want to deal with cruel wrath? 
it'll boil over and blow away. You want to deal with outrageous anger. <laughs> you know, it'll flow like a river and a lot of times wash stuff away with it. But crippling, drowning jealousy will continue to abide, pop up, bring confusion, bring strife. When the alternative is to encourage one another and be happy for one another and rejoice in one another. Whether there's great accomplishments going on or little accomplishments or no accomplishments, just rejoice in one another. There's no reason to be jealous. There's no reason to be envious. Song of Solomon, the 8th chapter, the 6th verse says, Set me as a seal upon thine heart. Now listen to the language of the flood, of the waters here. And think about Proverbs 27 and 4 where it, wrath is like boiling over. Anger is like a flood. But jealousy or envy will just drown you. Listen, set me as a seal upon thine heart, as a seal upon thine arm, for love is strong as death. Jealousy is cruel as the grave. The coals whereof are coals of fire, which hath a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Did you hear that? The waters of wrath cannot quench love. The waters of anger cannot quench love or charity. Neither can the floods drown it. You see that? The greatest of all of these emotions... And it's even greater than an emotion because it's charity. It's the love of Christ. It's the greatest emotion you could ever have. It's the greatest experience you could ever have. The greatest of these is charity. But be cautious because wrath is, is cruel and anger is outrageous. And jealousy will, will not only wash away the object of jealousy or envy, but it will drown the person who fails to address it. May the Lord bless us to observe these things. We give an opportunity to join the church if you've been burdened to follow the Lord and you feel the freedom that's in the truth, then you come forward and make that known as we stand and sing.